It was a pleasure meeting you. I'm gonna go kill myself. Wait, you're the only friend I have. You really want a robot for a friend? Yeah, ever since I was six. Well, okay. But I don't want people thinking we're robosexuals. So if anyone asks, you're my debugger. Hello and welcome to The Bricked Pit, the podcast you didn't know you didn't need. I'm Adam and this week going to be talking about uh, some interesting things and I've got two guests with me. The first of whom is the inspiration for the HAL 9000. That's Josh. Welcome to the podcast. So we're guest. <laughs> yeah. I, it's my show. You guys just get to tag along. Wow. <laughs> Somebody's this- not opened the pod bay doors now. <laughs> And also joining us is Jason. <laughs> Thanks for coming along, Jason. <laughs> Good to be here, Adam. Uh, what are we doing this week? Daisy, Daisy. <laughs> what are we doing here? Really? We're talking about... <laughs> That's a different podcast, man. That's a whole philosophy. How? <laughs> who who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> this episode is uh, Greek philosophy. It's uh, <laughs> we're gonna do some Socratic the, dialogue Socratic for <laughs> two hours. Descartes, you know. I thought we would talk about robots this week, but have a really generous definition of that. So it'd be like androids and AI and cyborgs and whatever. And that is a very um, generous term. You know, and I believe it's actually pronounced robots. Robots. There's so much good material here. I really enjoyed kind of thinking about what kind of things we could talk about. At first, I thought when I was originally kind of framing out this in my mind, I thought we might just do data from Star Trek, like archetype of Android. But there's just so much good material here, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about the movies you guys have as do well. Do you know the origin of the term robot? Could you tell me? <laughs> you don't, you really don't know? I, I have it written down in the show notes. It's in the second paragraph. <laughs> oh, is it? I, I, I didn't even I didn't even read that. Let me see if yeah, it's that's right. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, so once again, I, uh, Adam doesn't pay attention to the shows, <laughs> and Josh doesn't pay attention to the show notes. Yeah, I, yeah. I do. I do. I saw in that fact, you had putting words down. And I was like, he's got this. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. In fact, prepare. Surprisingly enough, for the episodes this that is, I host. this is just something that I happen to know. Well, I, you might have a little more take on it then. Go ahead. And no, I mean you got your, it covered. Go ahead. No, Why I want you, you to pronounce that it? guy's name. <laughs> Carl. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> You're almost there. That's halfway there. What's the second part? <laughs> K-Pack. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know how to say it, but that's not right. What does Chat GPT say? I don't know. <laughs> so. It's, uh, it comes from the Czech writer, Carl. It, no, he, he's, he's Czechoslovakian. Let's make yeah. He doesn't write checks. Yeah. <laughs> he cashed uh, he might have. Well, Czechoslovakia is not a place I may anymore, be a so Czech writer, Czech Republic, but I cashed but. him, suckers. <laughs> it's his famous line. The original word was a Czech word for robota, uh, which just means work. Um, uh, a little more than that. I think it means like forced labor. Okay. That's that's a little bit different than work. Yes. <laughs> that could be true. And, and, but I think that, that that's relevant to the discussion of robots because there's 
like the word itself is loaded. Right. Like that's, that's why they all have a chip on their shoulders. Right. And in their brains. And so, you know, so in the original form, it was, uh, like you said, it was forced labor to do menial and repetitive tasks. Um, like hosting a podcast (laughs) (laughs) or writing child support, you know, checks. (laughs) Welcome to Sad Dad Season Two. I mean, I'm just assuming I was speaking for you, Josh. There, but assuming I pay my child support. Oh yeah, that's right. It's a mighty big assumption, my friend. The royalties for this podcast aren't what people think. I'll tell you that. No, if if they think nothing, then they're they're right. They're right. Yeah. I was going to say anyway. I almost had it, my Lambo repossessed. <laughs> Obviously, the concept of AI, humanoid, robots, whatever—it's way back in science fiction. One of the earliest examples. Postulate is, that even Frankenstein's monster himself was a was a type of yeah. Mm-hmm. I could go with that. He was a replicant. Yeah. Cyborg, maybe. Is that no. where it's no? Yeah. All right. Anyway, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Gort from uh, the day the Earth stood still is probably the earliest uh, U.S. depiction in film. Thank you for qualifying that because that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're about to get in Cine jail. No. <laughs> so it's actually really timely because you know I pitched this a long time ago. I don't remember when we started talking about it, but in the interim, Chat GPT did not, in my mind, exist. I may be wrong on that, but it wasn't as big of a deal as it is now. When I was first started talking about this, and with that, if you if you watch the tech news at all. I mean, Congress is holding hearings on the future of AI. We're trying to come up with ethical guidelines for how to deal with like what is fast becoming a reality in the world of human-esque artificial intelligence. And it's kind of interesting because it seems like, I mean, I'm, I followed the news. I watched the, the hearings on these things. I don't understand why they're not looking to science fiction to see the like possible pitfalls. <laughs> it's like they're just ignoring all the work we've already like. Because if you read science fiction, you know that's exactly how it works. <laughs> so, like, you know, the, the one of the early examples of this is Isaac Asimov's, you know, uh, prolific science fiction writer. and The Three Laws of Robotics. Three Laws of Robotics, right? And uh, if you don't know, the first one is a robot can't injure a human being through, through action inaction. Or inaction. Or inaction or that's a very It's action, a very yeah. nice caveat. It is. And when you really think deeply i mean i know we were kind of joking about philosophy but this is really a philosophical question is like mm-hmm. because ai is making it's already making life or death decisions like an autopilot on a car sees two objects in the road it has to it can only stop it can only avoid one of them it has to decide it's making one, one of them is gauge from uh pet cemetery <laughs> one is <laughs> <laughs> one of them is a uh, you know a little girl on a bicycle and the other one is uh you know a man pedestrian and it's going to have to mow down one of them which one's it going to be and the and the computer decides it's making those decisions second law is a robot must obey the orders given a human except where it would conflict with first and the third is that it has to protect its own existence as long as it doesn't conflict with the first so let, can we can we stop there for a second cuz i do yeah. want to uh like i think the three laws of robotics is is interesting concept it's a it's a yeah. inter- and now i mean it really is relevant like you said but yeah. it's, it's yeah. an interesting thought uh experiment the ultimate conclusion of that in asimov's work is frightening because eventually uh i think it's in the foundation 
novels, you find out that like the robots are guiding human uh, society from behind the curtain, right. and but they basically become our our unseen masters because they they extrapolate out that the act through action or inaction cause yes. no harm that eventually they are like, well, we have to rule to make right. sure nobody gets because hurt. humans and are their so, own worst enemies. Right. right. So they, exactly, they become yeah. like, they become like these unseen dictatorial forces. And I don't know, like I didn't read much past that. Cause I was like, I didn't like the foundation in the, in the, in the iRobot kind of uh, timelines merging, which is what they did in, in the books. Mm-hmm. But it, that's kind of terrifying, and I think it's like that's almost worse than the than the Skynet or the or the Ultron. Like Where they're oh, just out you, to get you, yeah. yeah. Like like because it's clear cut enemy, right? You know what right. you're bad, but like yeah. but they're like it's when they're the the smothering parent. Like yeah. I, I cannot allow you to fail. Like that the the hu- human nature is to rebel against that. But that you know, it you if you work with if in programming or computers and stuff, you do have to you have to be very careful what you tell machines because yeah. they will they're they're literalist. Well, that's the uh, one of the things that they've revealed with the Chat GPT is that you know they came up against I think like a capture or something like that, and so they called like oh, yeah. tech support to get around the capture yeah. and the, and the text were, well, uh, you know, are you an AI? So there's like, no, it no. lied. <laughs> and then yeah. when they, you know, like the programmers were trying to delve into that, the logic was, well, my task was to get past this page for them to know that I'm an AI goes against me completing that task. So therefore they didn't need to know I, I was lie. an AI. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think they went on Fiverr and actually put a post that said something I read the thing you're talking about. I think it was something crazy like, I am absolutely not a robot and I need help getting past this captcha. I have a disability. Yes. And then and then they read the transcript and the guy on Fiverr is like, are you really not a robot? And then the, the chat should be like, I'm absolutely not a robot. Can you please <laughs> click this button for me? And the guy's like, okay. <laughs> and then and then nuclear holocaust broke out. Like that was, yeah. <laughs> you know, and no, all kidding aside, but do you remember the one, have you heard recently, the other one, which is the, they did a war game. I was I the, was going to bring that up. Yeah. yeah, where they the drones killed the operators because they were standing <laughs> in way of the objective because they were telling them no, not to engage yeah. the objective. Yeah, don't engage, and they're like, "But we uh, got this mission to do, and you're standing in the way." Well, and, and the logic was if we take if we take out like the the radio towers and stuff, then we can't get the, the bad news that we don't the, want. Right, right. That we don't <laughs> that we don't attack. Yeah, and it's it, and it was if you read into the article, it was set up to. Kind of elicit that response to right. see if they would do that. Yeah, but I mean that's the point, and that's and I think that that's the overarching theme of these kind of films and stuff is that it it is very much like talking with children because yeah. like you if you want a kid to do something, you can't be like, hey, go clean your room. It's like, right. okay, <laughs> this I need you to take all the clothes off the floor, put right. them into the basket. Very literal, very take specific. The basket, Bring yeah. it downstairs and put it by the laundry machine. You know, like like otherwise, like it's chaos. Like or or they they do the bare minimum. You know, like we said pick everything up. I picked it up and then I dropped it. I didn't, <laughs> instructions unclear. The other aspect of this is in the in the newest sort of so where science fiction meets science. Uh, and all kidding aside, actually talking about Rene Descartes is. Uh, 
Alan Turing's uh, postulation in the 50s about how to figure out whether a computer or an uh, artificial intelligence could fool a human being uh, or exhibit intelligent behavior that's equivalent to human and chose sentience or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because what was it last year? I guess that guy from Google claimed that the Google chat bot was sentient and mm. fooled and fooled him. And then now with chat GPT, I mean, I think a, a sophisticated user can tell like it, there's certain tells that the, the language usage is slightly off or the answers are a little off, but it's close. I mean, we're within, we're within the ability of being able to for, fully uh, fool a, a rational human being. Some guys at work, they were having a Teams chat, right? Yeah. And coworker A was not really responding. He was just copying and pasting what nice. coworker B was saying into chat GPT, and he was, and he was copying and pasting back. The response, and yeah. He, he wasn't even paying attention. Um <laughs> Yeah, and like they they had a conversation. He had no idea, and of course, I mean, some of that plays into the you presume that you're talking to you know a person, right? I'm talking or to a person computer. A, so yeah. this is this is person A. So I think that like the reality of the Turing test and stuff is not reflective of actuality because I think that yeah. there there can be a fantastic verisimilitude yeah. of sentience but that still does not make sentience you know it's like uh yeah. they, i think it's very planet of the apes there's a lot of uh there's a lot of imitation but that doesn't mean origination and that's the kind of the problem they're having with the self-driving cars right now like that we're at the level of ai for self-driving despite the fact that tesla calls their software full self-driving it's not Right. It's an assistance program. You should be there to take the wheel at any time because. Or let Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> just, if you see just like all the, the things that are happening, like the Waymo cars causing gridlock, yeah. mm-hmm. because, you know, it's very easy to see thick, brightly painted lines, but there's a lot of places that those things are faded over the years or intersections aren't grid-like and they're confusing in the way they come together you know a lot of tesla vehicles running into the back of parked emergency vehicles on the highway right right well you know know my car does this thing where if it if if it's an autopilot i don't have a tesla i have a different car but if it's an autopilot and it it does this thing where like it encounters anything new it flashes bright red and screams this alarm <laughs> and it's like, take over immediately. And I'm like, I can't do any better than you, man. Like, what do you, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> That's not saying much for your driving yeah. skills. No, I, mean, like, just, like, <laughs> I think the difference between the, the AI and, and the human brain is, I mean, the human brain makes so many calculations, but yeah. it also has like the most advanced filtering ability, yeah. like, like, to like erroneous information is you just literally don't notice it, but you're able to, to make subconsciously like throw in a a baseball or something. Think about the, 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 uh, the massive amount of calculations you have to make to throw a baseball. And well, we we do it. We do value judgments better. Right. Well, because those have to be assigned in them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and we can talk about how most of the large language models that have been built have these biases built into them because the programmers have mm-hmm. 
unconsciously generally. I mean, I don't think anybody's, I mean, who knows, but I don't think generally speaking, they're deliberately planting biases, but every human being has their own biases and that gets translated into programming. And I think in some ways, that's what you think it gets accentuated (laughs) in the programming because there's not, there's not a remedy kind of a self check for it, you know? So as, yeah, right. But like as, as complicated as, as any, as like a manufacturing process or whatever is you, you add in social elements to that. And that's why Mm -hmm. like we can't even codify this stuff because that's why we have the soft sciences. It's like in that, in, in psychology and mass communication, it's all correlation, not causation because there are so many factors. Confounding variables. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard on to your detail upbring- what is it. Your upbringing, your DNA. So there's a good example of this in the, one of the movies that I – so I'll, I'll start by saying I acknowledge that this movie is a far departure from the book. And much like other movies we've talked about in the past, it is not – it is a standalone and it should be viewed on its own. But the point I'm trying to make here is that uh, Will Smith is angry at the robots because he was a cop. He was in a car accident. Two cars get hit by a truck. They go off a bridge into cold water. The robots jump into the water. And in car A is a 12-year-old girl. Her car is sinking. And car B is Will Smith. And the robot saves him instead of the little girl. And so Will Smith is resentful because he's like... And and there's dialogue. There's uh, uh, some exposition in the movie. I, we're talking about iRobot if you haven't figured that out. But there's exposition where he's telling the psychologist slash whatever doctor who's over the... A robotics program about the story and she says well they they would the robot would have done a survival calculation and would have made a logical rational choice and he says that's the difference between a human and a robot a human would have known to save the little girl even though she had an 11 percent chance of survival and i had a 40 percent chance of survival a human would have saved the little girl and that's why i can't trust robots and it's a it's a good uh, nutshell argument for this problem because it's we're really i mean i honestly Earnestly, I believe that we're going to be in the near future facing a few facing a reality where robots are making ethical and moral choices for humans, largely without oversight, because they're going to be happening happening in these rapid fire situations, exactly like that. You know, there's a car crash, the robot has to decide. And I just want our robot overlords to know that yeah. that's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that also part of the problem. Uh, we have a tendency <laughs> to give up our own agency. Yeah, a lot of probably, yeah. and, and that's yeah. that's what we're seeing with the you know the the Tesla crashes and all that stuff. Sure, People sure. aren't doing they're 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 letting the the computer Jesus. do it all, even Jesus though they're not the supposed wheel. to. Yeah. And, and even before that, you know the the stories of people like driving off bridges because their GPS told them to told turn. Them to. Mm-hmm. Right. You know yeah. it, or you know cut through you know middle of a field or something like that. It's just we are so willing to give up our responsibility. Well, in, in some of that, in defense of the human resistance, if you're listening to this, <laughs> see, I'm the guy that plays both sides of the fence, right? right? <laughs> now, if you're a robot, I want you to skip ahead by four minutes. Ro- robot, I'm just saying this. All right, now, really, human resistance, this is what I'm telling you. A lot of that is because in today's society versus a hundred years ago, the amount of micro decisions that we have to make is exponentially larger. So that decision fatigue is real. It is absolutely real. And I think it is 
a bigger problem than is addressed because it's, I mean, yeah. what am I going to, what am I going to watch on TV? But like when, as soon as you get up, what am I going to have for breakfast? It a hundred years ago, you're going to have eggs and bacon because that's all there was. You right. know, am I going to go to Starbucks today? Or am I going to go to Hardee's? If I go to Hardee's, the old people are there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually really insightful. And not only is it decision fatigue, but there's also this element of, you know, the paradox of choice, uh, which is a, if you've not read that book, it's a really good book. But essentially, the premise is, is that we're vexed when we go to the cereal aisle. There's 600 things to choose from, and every one of those takes a toll, which is the concept of decision fatigue. But also, we're not in villages anymore. We're very much isolated. We're in our own little pods and our own little microcosms of family. And most of the things that humans have succeeded at in, over our anthropological history have been accomplished in group settings. I would say there's a, a void that I think that people are going to want to fill with AI. We already do it with our with uh, Alexa and Google or whatever. Well, not even uh, that. Much. Like, like the, the recommendation algorithm yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, we, helps you we decide, make whittle through choices. Their- yeah, without having to use your brain. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, imagine if you had a helper that if you're taking care care of your elderly parents and. You could buy a helper to stay with them and tell you daily how that, you know, your mom took her medicine like she's supposed to. Your dad, your dad ate a good meal and made sure that he got all his calories for the day or whatever. Or to tell you, you know, it will look like an accident. (laughs) (laughs) We've been working on his will just like you told me to. I mean, you know. This message will erase like Snapchat. (laughs) We've got his signature down. In Japan, we're already seeing that with the. Mm with the AI caregivers because they have a population imbalance with the aging group of people over there. But, and the Japanese love their robots. Yeah. Don't wear a gato. Feature of <laughs> Japan. Um, and they, had, they, had, they had talking vending machines long before. Yeah. We did. I think one of the recurring themes of, of robots is this desire from the robots perspective, the androids perspective to seek humanity, to be more human. That's interesting to me in that I don't think my idea is that whatever form AI eventually takes, whatever form androids actually take, I think it's much more likely to be the Matrix-esque, we are the superior, eventually. You are inferior. Why would we ever want to be? It'd be like, it would be like if human if humanity's goal was to be more like ants. <laughs> why, would, why would we choose to be the inferior thing? That's stupid, right? And it's it's literally the oldest robot story ever. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you talked about the the check mm-hmm. play R U R, it's about the the robot servants overtaking be- the masters because right. they don't want to be enslaved. Generally, the original robot story, yeah, cause, and cause you they know, got a, they were formed with emotions. You know, yeah, and it's. I think it is something that we do have to kind of understand. I think the some of the aspects of uh, Star Trek, like Next Generation with Data, yeah, it broached that subject several times of, right. you know, if we can have a synthetic life form, an artificial life form, wouldn't it essentially be enslavement to just, you know, build these creatures to work for us and do all our menial tasks and everything right. over and over again. It, there yeah. is a, a moral conundrum. I think there's also uh, more uh, baseline 
fear of technology getting out of control and, and not even say human mastery over their environment because the it's the same fear as like discovering fire and creating a raging brush fire that that ends up engulfing the village right you know, it's something that something that is harnessing the power right 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 harnessing power and then losing that control right um well the new something right? that is quite frankly deadly yes yeah. i mean whenever even, they even though yeah. it's useful yeah when they set off the first nuclear chain reaction they you know there's a non-zero chance that this will end the world, right? <laughs> right. We don't know what's going to happen. This could continue on until the entire planet's destroyed. We don't know. And they famously had um, Jim Johns be like, "F it, I'm pushing the button." And that, <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was an Oppenheimer, I think. Uh, it was portrayed by Jack Black. <laughs> Scooby Doo was there. It was. <laughs> And he went, let me bow. I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Kyle Gass was, uh, played Oppenheimer, was in my mind, <laughs> as I recall it, in the film I haven't seen. <laughs> See, which AI I will now, which I will now give a 20-minute summary yeah. of. <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, no, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to write this down. This next pitch meeting. <laughs> <laughs> With, we got, we're going to do a pay like $500 for a cameo of a Jack Black and pitch that to him. <laughs> You're the guy that pushes the button, right? <laughs> but you Jack Black. <laughs> so you push it like Jack Black would push it. <laughs> He's like, I'm listening. <laughs> and the check is cleared, right? That's what <laughs> when, when does the rock show up? The rock <laughs> is the button. <laughs> And Kevin Hart is the panel the button's on. <laughs> it's a reverse ruse. <laughs> Actually, we just we should, we're like a pitch generating AI. <laughs> They're gonna yeah, we're we're creating the pitches that AI would create. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> I mean, we we are in the uh, commons, so they're probably just stealing all this to play for AI. And that's the, this is the scary thing. This is this kind of content, this crap that we're spouting right now. This is what they're training AI on. <laughs> These are how normal humans talk. <laughs> this is like, what they want. <laughs> they want like, like, no, this, is, this is gold. <laughs> we're taking we're taking all the bad takes of forty year old balding <laughs> podcasters. And it truly is Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> so one of the questions I wrote that I thought was more fun and clever when I wrote it than I do now, but I still want to ask about it. Is, <laughs> now, now I'm terrified of it. Well, I was just curious for film and TV, which do you find more interesting? The helpful data of TNG or uh, iRobot, you know, it's the protagonist is he's thought to be a bad guy, but he's actually a good guy or the evil robot. Who's actually in fact, you know, the Terminator or whatever out to get you. Which makes for better movies and TV? I have a real strong preference for this, but I'm curious if either of you could, could care it's, one it's way or the other. It's the quality of the writing because, I mean, James Cameron did both in one film franchise. Why are you leaking? <laughs> <laughs> Dang, Arnold does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at it. You know, that's, and that was like the big thing for James Cameron when he 
he he had to convince Arnold Schwarzenegger because Arnold Schwarzenegger read the script. So I don't kill anybody in this. Like, no, that's, <laughs> that's the bit. <laughs> like, you, you don't kill anyone in this he was film. Like, he was like the Terminator. Go, Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger had a, you know, he had that star persona. Right. He was the action star. And so for an action star not to kill anybody in a film, that's a big action film with well, lots of the, guns. The irony and is it just he, made no sense. He had to be convinced to play the bad guy in the original right. Terminator. He no, no, he, no, he was, he was actually being auditioned for Kyle Reese. And he was like, my English is not that good. So I would probably do better as the Android. Interesting. Now, now say it like Arnold. <laughs> but what you but talking I, about, Josh? But don't be a, but don't be offensive when you do it. That's, <laughs> now, now go. Chat GPT. Say this. <laughs> I think the, the the weird thing will be is in ten years we listen to this podcast and we're like how naive we were because I don't as, believe in ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts, but I definitely believe, yeah. I believe I definitely believe in murderous robots. Like that's like. <laughs> But they actually exist. Well, yeah, like, we have we have murder robots now. They're just controlled by humans. So you're just point. you're you're afraid of Auto- autonomous autonomous murderous robots. Murderous robots. Right we have plenty yeah. of murder robots that are murdering left and right, uh, <laughs> just just via joystick. Yeah. So, anywho, it's a real Ender's Game out there, man. <laughs> nice reference. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, I, I read books, even though I pretend like I don't. <laughs> so, do you, which do you think, Josh, more compelling, evil or helpful, or do you care? I like the. To, my druthers are the the so helpful. You're evil oh. is the <laughs> yeah. um, that's yeah. that I think is 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 compelling because the how how nine thousand really that's kind of right. the, pr- the premise yeah. of that. Is, how, you, how do you how do you yeah. rebel? Because you definitely want to rebel against that, but it's it it plays into the the Jungian slash Freudian yeah. smothering mother kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, template. So there's like there's drama in that. It just taps into that you know like like people want to rebel, you know, and it's like. The uh, there's a some valiant comics back in the day, like Magnus Robot Fighter and Rye, where um, the world is controlled by super helpful robots, like <laughs> that are so right. helpful that like they're enslaving you for your own good. And it's like, yeah, I've like I want to punch those robots, like Magnus Robot Fighter. <laughs> which, which, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's. In a lot of ways, that is the premise of the movie I wrote. I know it's not the book, but the movie I robot is the, they're all super helpful. They're all, there's never been an incidence of, you know, right. malfeasance on the part of it's a robot. It's like, it's almost like a, a strain of malicious compliance. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, anywho, Jason, why don't we hop into one of the movies and we'll start with you. Okay. So one of my favorites is the 1987 Paul Verhoeven film, RoboCop. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you... RoboCop. This guy is really good. He's not 
about a guy. He's a machine. All Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go. You are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. Anything you say may be used against you. He's a cyborg, you idiot. You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory's admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. For God's sake! Robocop, the future of law enforcement. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, and watch it with someone who doesn't understand that it's a satire. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> like this. Watch yeah. any Paul Verhoeven movie w- and with somebody who doesn't understand that it's satire. Because that's... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much. That's fair. Yeah, the, his his go to thing, man. I'm I'm totally on board with these uh these space marines. Are I've you? Heard, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard it described as smart movies for dumb people. That's <laughs> <laughs> he considered it the it's it's the American Messiah tale. Yeah, you know, um, it's a uh, yeah uh, crucifixion uh-huh. death. Resurrection. Resurrection. Yeah. yeah. With lots of guns because it's American. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and what's funny is there there's the, the director's cut, uh, especially I think like when was Ronnie Cox TV's Captain Jellico <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as when he gets murdered by the Ed 209. I think it was him. It was one of the, one of the executives. No, it's a, uh, it's an earlier scene. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. With the Ed 209 comes in and shoots the executive. Right. And it just like the, the issue was when they submitted it to the MPAA for ratings, it got an X rating mm-hmm. for the violence. So they had to go through and, and cut out a lot of the violence. Cause in that original scene, the guy is like, he's shot so many times, like the force of it, like picks him up and throws him on the table with the model of the new Delta city, where they're going to, you know, uh, knock down old Detroit and build this new fancy city and everything. The robot keeps going after that. Like still just, I mean, the dude's chest explodes. Yeah. It, but- from being shot so many times and they, Oh, that's too much. You got to cut that out. And Verhoeven's like, it's, it's so excessive. It becomes cartoonish. Right. Yeah, right. It's, and, yeah, and, it, and I think that that pans out when you watch. If you watch those scenes side by side, it gets to the point where you're like, "This is freaking ridiculous." Right. It, it's like an anime. Yeah. Or, yeah, before, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, yeah before that was the thing, or Tarantino's Kill Bill. You know, with yeah. the blood and stuff. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And anime. what was it? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he said though, you know, before he had to cut out all that violence. Everything when people would watch it, they would actually laugh. Mm-hmm. And he said, "When you cut it down, then it looks like, worse. It's, it's, it's more violent than right. it was when it's he like, had this cartoonish blood and and everything exploding everywhere." So, 
So Robocop is essentially the story of a man who is murdered and then still forced to go to work. Work? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the the guy who wrote it uh, was actually an executive working at studios. And he, I think, you know, even wound up working as like a production uh, assistant on Blade Runner, like for free, because he wanted to figure out how movies were made. But he essentially wrote the script based off of his experience of working in corporate Hollywood. <laughs> so a lot of some of the stuff, like some of the, the actual like discussions that they have are actual discussions he had to have <laughs> in a corporate setting. And, and sometimes satire is so spot on that it takes culture catching up to that satire for the satire to really kind of be seen is yeah. like even even like the the television programming in RoboCop, the uh, the I'd buy that for a dollar and stuff is like just off the rails <laughs> in the eighties, and now it's like you're like oh, that's that's basically what television has become, and then two and a half men, yeah. So OCP has their own police force. Their own, you know, and you're like, that's crazy. And then it's like, now it's like, oh yeah, we've got BlackRock doing all of our work in Afghanistan. And and it's like, that's normal. It's like, that's corporate mercenaries <laughs> imposing the will of America on foreign soil. It's like, you just transport it. It's or the like, Wagner group in Russia. I mean, it's right. It's, become it's a, right. Yeah. It's like, it's not, it's not even satire anymore. It's just that's the way corp- corporations taking over large urban areas and, you know, running them like <laughs> it's it's here, man. We're hoping at, at what point do we stop calling it dystopian and we just call it present day? Like, dystopian? <laughs> <laughs> it's not dystopian, it's stopian. It's within dystopian. Dystopian. No, no, it's it's not dystopian future, it's just dystopian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just Tuesday, man. <laughs> so, I mean, this is such a a great movie. Like I said, it, it's it's so smart, even though it's just like it feels like an action film. Like it's just the average action. It is not. It is so intelligent on how it does everything, and it's it's about humanity and mm-hmm. how it's a great movie. The corporate structure. You know, their their perfect employee is somebody who just follows their directives, right? And, Literally, you know, yeah, yeah. It just it just follows programming and does what they want, and you know, they they feel like they own you. I'll tell you what's in that it's a little insurance policy called Directive Four. My little contribution to your psychological profile. Oh. Oh. Any attempt to arrest a senior officer of OCP Uh, results in shutdown. uh, What did you think? That you were an ordinary police officer? You're our product. And we can't very well have our products turning against us, can we? Uh, Ah. Still a little bite, didn't you? And it's... If... If you ever had to have a job, you understand RoboCop. Right. So what, from, what from, I was going to say is it's a great at, movie. As a bag boy in a grocery store to right. a mega corporation. It's a great movie to watch when you're 15 and then watch again when you're 30. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you take totally not, different not so, lessons. Not it's so just, funny anymore, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Drop it, creep. Yeah. <laughs> but these are all my hopes and dreams, Robocop. Drop it, creep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Kurtwood Smith is fantastic. Oh my god. Utterly he is, fantastic. He like next to scene chewing in the dictionary. <laughs> it is it is so like if you don't get that it's satire, but like every word that comes out of his mouth is just gold. Oh, so, it's quotable. <laughs> just so uh, quotable. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's a they like talked about when they uh were doing like wardrobe and everything, they they gave him glasses and everything like that. And so he thought that the reason they gave him glasses was that the guy was supposed to think he's an intellectual. <laughs> and so that's how he played it. And, you know, even though they just wanted him to be like a sleaze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he does this fantastic combination of the two. Like there's and a lot of the stuff he does is him improvising. Like he comes in at one point to, to Dick Jones's office and he sits there, he takes out his chewing gum and puts it on the, the secretary's nameplate, and he's yeah. I'm here to see Dick Jones, but when I'm done, yeah, <laughs> it's like he's he is so fantastic, man. I just I know a lot of the younger viewers might love him from uh, with that '70s show, mm-hmm. and that's got nothing on this. No, it's 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 a career highlight performance. Uh, Can I, honestly, you fly, Bobby? Yeah, I mean, yeah that's. <laughs> Though no 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 no, it's so it's so cold and like just uncaring. Yeah, yeah. Just he's just, I mean, torturing this dude and having the time. It's almost not even. Yeah, he's not having the time of his life. He's just just doing it because he's like this. This some that's some cold stuff to do to somebody before you kill him. (laughs) (laughs) You were talking about. how Elon Musk in the eighties would have been this guy. <laughs> Just cruelty for cruel, cruelty's purposes. Hey, well, why don't you, why don't you well, stop and then you drop that in. That's pretty good stuff. Elon, <laughs> I think I just, Elon, I think I just I think did. I think it's a terrible thing to say, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a real monster. Are you talking to Elon like he's your robot overlord already? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he is. I mean, that, put, that would explain so the, uh, much, wouldn't it? <laughs> the, the true crime podcast mine. <laughs> anyway, all right. Take it away, Josh, wherever you want. I don't remember where I was. I think the the main aspect of it, I, what really kind of drives it is, it, it's a story about Alex Murphy, the, the guy that they turned into a machine for them rediscovering his humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, uh, I think probably one of the greatest scenes in it that isn't an action scene or isn't, you know, a Kurtwood Smith quotable scene is when he finds out who he is through investigation of, of someone he's arrested that was involved in murdering him. And he discovers that they've murdered this cop and all this stuff. So he goes to his old house and his wife and son have already left. They've, they've moved out. Because it's, you know, months, almost like a year later. And he's going through the house and is up for sale. And because it's the future, the the realtor is on these computer monitors. 
and is just telling you about the house. And he's going through the house and he's having memories of his family in this house. And I think one of the great aspects of it, unlike what a lot of shows do, which they just, it's like a TV show and they show you everything. It's actually shot from his perspective. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing the family as he saw it. You're seeing the interactions as he saw it and experienced it. It's like this flood of emotions, everything, and it angers him that he's he has this emotions and he had this family and everything, and it's all been taken away from him. From that moment on, on he becomes more and more human as the movie progresses to the extent at the end, like the the last uh, line is, you know, that you know his you know his name is Murphy, not Robocop. Like he regains his humanity at, at the last bit. Man, that's heavy. That is heavy. <laughs> Which, if it were real life, they would still call him RoboCop because they'd all be jerks about <laughs> it. <laughs> RoboCop is, is your legal name and it's yeah. trademark. Uh, it'd be like Vince McMahon telling people, you can't call yourself The Rock. <laughs> we own the name Murphy. I'm sorry. <laughs> RoboCop is really the story of Vince McMahon taking over the territories. <laughs> And Hulk Hogan, see, he's he ain't RoboCop. <laughs> Sting is RoboCop. But I mean, this this was a huge hit for a, a small production company, Orion. Huh? Yeah, oh, really? So, well, you know, yeah. I didn't know they were small at the time. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, yes, in in the grand scheme of things, they were a small production company, mm-hmm. and they they went out against such uh, giant films. As Superman Four: The Quest for Peace, <laughs> <laughs> they did hit. Uh, I think The Living Daylights was the the James Bond film that came out that year. But yeah, not really much. I don't think very much uh, competition as far as action goes when it came out. And a funny aside story, like uh, Weird Al Yankovic talks about in his UHF. Uh, if you listen to the commentary on the DVD. Because his movie was done by Orion, and when they tested it, it tested better than the original RoboCop. <laughs> so they thought he was going to be the next big thing for him. So they made <laughs> they made this plan out for like years for him to do like a movie like every year. And he was like, you know, he would walk into their offices and everybody would you know say hey and shake his hand. And then when the movie came out, it came out the same summer as like Batman and. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Ghostbusters 2 and it was just swallowed up and uh, no one would look him in the eye anymore when he went and visited the studio. <laughs> Legend has it no one is supposed to look in the eyes of Weird much, Al. Much like, uh, much like Josh's co-workers when they discovered this podcast. Dude. <laughs> but this uh, this led to a franchise uh, several movies of uh, diminishing quality. Yeah. Uh, a cartoon for some reason with a toy Vid- line. Vidya Games. Vidya Games. Yeah. And then in the 90s, a very terrible campy uh, TV series that lasted for a season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, have like, I have like nothing for or against the Robocop TV series. Yeah. It's like, it just is. It, yeah, it's just like, okay, it exists. I'm, like, it's like, it doesn't even rise to like my derision. Like, <laughs> it's just it's just there, yeah. yeah. It's just. I remember in the late '90s, early 2000s, they did like some sequel, like TV movies 
that Sci-Fi co-produced. And I remember flipping through and catching through one. And like the high-speed car chase was them like doing 30 miles an hour <laughs> in like a junkyard or something. And it like a sparsely uh, violated junkyard. Like there's a lot of free open space in there. It's so. like Austin Powers heading towards the, the guard in the steamroller. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. One of my favorite movies, though, uh, Robocop, Paul Verhoeven. Peter Weller does a, a fantastic job in that. And he worked with like movement coaches to get the, the movements of Robocop down so that it it looked fluid in some paces and mechanical in others. Like it would fluid movements, but then, you know, like herky jerky stops real quick, like a robot, like. So he, he took it very seriously, and I think he even, like, pushed to get the role. I heard he actually became a robot for... <laughs> <laughs> Much like Elon Musk. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> He's got too much money for us to screw with. He's too busy to worry about us. <laughs> Are you sure? Have you seen his Twitter account? He's tanking Twitter right now, so and and that stupid Cybertruck. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> well, ain't nothing that alleged, that, that he will go after you for. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. Say what you want about me, but don't disparage my horse. You, you, can, <laughs> you can put your groceries in this thing. Mm. DeLorean 2. Anyway. <laughs> Man, movies are cool. <laughs> are we are we done with uh, the Robo- We're never Robocop. done with RoboCop. Just remember that. RoboCop's never done with you. Just yeah. <laughs> RoboCop will always be there. RoboCop's like the NWO. It's for life. <laughs> he doesn't. Hey, Adam laugh, he doesn't even know the reference. No, I'm, just, I'm laughing at Josh's reaction to that. That was <laughs> It's like you. It's like you struck a fatal blow on Josh with that joke. <laughs> Fatality. <laughs> what I want to talk about, and and then I'll let you go, Josh. Was um, oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> you go last. Two movies that go together, but really the the second one more than the first one is the the Blade Runner franchise. escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants. I need you, Dex. I need the old Blade Runner. Replicants are like any other machine. They're either a benefit or a hazard. If they're a benefit, it's not my problem. I'm Rachel. Deckard. They were designed to copy human beings in every way. How can it not know what it is? Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. If only you could see what I've seen. What seems to be the problem? I want more life. Too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? More human than human is our motto. 
I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner is based off of uh, a Philip K. Dick book called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? We've talked a lot on here about medium not matching the books or whatever. This is one of those where it is so far removed. And I don't even care. Yeah, <laughs> which which is so and odd Philip, for you. Philip K. Dick didn't even care. Yeah. No, no he, he was I mean, like, yeah. this is awesome. Yeah, no. He, yeah, I that's, have a heart attack now. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm checking out. We have beaten this specific movie franchise to death. I have done that. I apologize because I bring it up every time I can. Because this, for me, Blade Runner is my favorite movie of all time. It is my favorite movie. I just love it. There's just something about I it's about the time I watched it. It's about the right. the, the music. It's just it's just unique to me, whatever. Blade Runner is like taking a life of its own. Yeah. Um and culturally, I think especially those in guys. Like, in internet <laughs> culture. Yeah. Well, there's it and again, it's like this is uh, an example, I think, of people grossly misreading. Yeah. Um, because they're like, it is Deckard a replicant? And like, I think he, it's like, no, he's human. That's the point. Is that the dudes that are not human are more human than him, more human than human. More literally. human than human, yeah. Like like Rutgerd Howard's character is does terrible things, but because he wants to live. And but right. and he he is much more alive than Deckard, who lives this Schlubby just existence. existence he just, he just yeah. exists. Yeah, and so it's it's like, come on, man! It's they. It's not hard to understand. Part of what it was for me about this is that it was it establishes a lot of film styles or a lot of uh, techniques that may have existed prior to this movie, but were introduced to me in this movie. It has that noir quality to it, which I just absolutely love. Which they invented, yes. Well, I don't think <laughs> they invented it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the joke. I was really skeptical when 2049 came out and, and because I've talked about Blade Runner so much, I thought I'd actually spend more time on 2049. First of all, have either of you seen it? It wouldn't surprise me if you haven't, but I still haven't. I have. Yes. Okay. I'm, so, I'm a jerk. So, no, I mean, look, that has nothing to do with this movie. No, yeah, I mean, independently I'm, I'm of that. I'm a jerk. Do we? <laughs> for me, I was so, I think my expectations. Were, so I've been burned so many times. Hobbit. Star Wars, yeah, <laughs> hundreds of things I love that are brought back to life in a terrible form. Mary Poppins, so, yeah. <laughs> the Lion King uh, live action remake. Yeah. Oh, the, the Mary Poppins Returns was a little disappointing. I'm not going. Yeah, <laughs> but I went in with expectations so low that when I saw it, I was so pleasantly surprised. I was, I was just, I was shocked at how good, I, how good I thought the movie was. Um, it has mixed critical reviews. I don't know that if I gave it a pass because I liked it, it because it it fit what I thought the sequel should be. If that makes any sense, so like it just checked the boxes for me, right? As a super fan, I mean, I don't call myself that lightly, but Blade Runner, I'm like, I'm a tr- <laughs> like, I'm a true super fan. It's a good continuation of the story. You know, I think that the casting, Ryan Gosling, was fine for the like the new lead or whatever. I hope they make additional sequels to it. I think it would be a great. I think it's careful what you wish for, man. Yeah, I know. I'm um, all about letting things die, man. <laughs> so apparently there's a development or a sequel, a, a series, television series, Blade Runner 2099 that's in development by Amazon. So presumably they'll screw it up. Oh, Amazon's done such a great job with all the properties that they've 
purchase. Wheel of Times, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't do. They really just, just can't do anything wrong. Right. <laughs> I, so I really suck at retelling like the key elements of stories. But Jason does a really good job of that. Maybe you can help me out here. But no, there's robot people. <laughs> part two. Yeah. So the original one is it's Harrison Ford and. Uh, He's the Blade Runner is a term that's used for essentially like a detective or a cop that hunts rogue androids that are out in the wild and they shouldn't be, uh, which are called replicants. A group of replicants had killed a bunch of people on Mars and escaped Earth, and he's out to hunt them down. Psychologically, it it focuses on the nexus between, like Josh pointed out, like the replicants are truly alive because they are on borrowed time. They're already near their expiration date. Cause the deal is, is replicants have a built-in chronometer that it's like they five die years after five something. years, they die. And so they've come back to earth to go back to the company that manufactured them and get into the CEO's office in order to see if there's a cure for the, the terminal date. There's a really famous scene in the movie uh, where Roy Batty gives a soliloquy about the things he's seen. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. It's a fascinating juxtaposition, I think, better than most other android robot movies in this. They don't necessarily want to be human. They just don't want to die. They don't want to be at the right. mercy of humanity. In doing that, they show what hum- humans take for granted, which is life, longevity. And the importance of that scene is, of course, it was preceded by you know the fight between right. Deckard and him. And at that point, Deckard is... Almost dead. He's, Almost, he's yeah. been, been beaten to death. Yeah, yeah. And Roy Batty, you know, pulls him up from the side of the building. Roy Batty's last act is mercy, right? Which is something that Deckard had never shown to the replicants, right? Yeah. Even even when he saw that they had interior lives and stuff. I mean, it's interesting that I mean, Roy Batty is probably. I'm not going to call him a villain. Even though he did bad things, Deckard did bad things too. He's certainly the protagonist. Yeah. But, you know, he quotes William Blake. You yeah. know, um, he misquotes him. Fiery, the angels fell, deep thunder rolled. And it's just like this profound. It, oh, my God. Yeah. You don't get that same from Deckard. Deckard doesn't show any interest in anything outside of eating, the sleeping. Job. Yeah. Right. Well, just, just. The machinations of being alive. And even his love interest. Mm-hmm. It's only because of the... The only reason that he's interested in Sean Young's character is because of the replicant nature. Right. Right. 
and it's it's this weird pseudo sexual you know well, it gets it, into the psychology it, of that right it's like is he taking advantage of her like what is going on there so in 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 my interpretation of Edward James almost as character you know yeah. the, like the 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 internet fan theory is that that Deckard's a replicant based on him or whatever and it's like that's yeah. fun but that's not I don't think the film supports that, but he leaves the origami, which I mean, plays into like, I think like larger, like animals are very rare. Don't really exist in the book. That's more apparent that, um, Right, because of the like the most people, dystopian most people, right. right? Most people that have animals, they're actually replicant animals. Right. They're, they're Do you like our owl? Is it real? No, of course not. You know that, right? Yeah, but also it's 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 an artistic pursuit. Like Edward yeah. James almost is like it's like he's always hovering in just outside of Deckard's purview, and he's always right. leaving these little bits of like the match matchstick man and the yeah, like origami uh, unicorn. Just, art or human endeavor outside of the machinations of life, which is all, all deck Deckard is, is the robot in the film. But even though he's the human, so here's my take on that. So the fan theory is, is that Edward James almost gaff leaves the unicorn proving that Deckard is because Deckard has the dream of the unicorn. Mm -hmm. No, my opinion of that is that is gaff is in fact the replicant. And that he is the holder of fake memories that Deckard actually has. He is the, those dreams that Deckard has. He's the human, just like Rachel has the memories of her niece's spider. Mm-hmm. She remembers as if they were her own. Deckard is the human who has been unwittingly used. And Gaff is actually the replicate. It fits both ways. And it also, yeah. because of your point with Gaff being on the outside, and I haven't read this anywhere else. This is my own take mm-hmm. on it. Is if you watch that the film with Gaff as as a replicant who doesn't know he's a replicant, it adds some interesting elements to his. Well, act, and yeah, it's the, sa- it's, it's the same argument for Deckard being the replicant, right? It just like just reversed, like so it still works. Mm-hmm. But uh, and to me though, that that good storytelling and good cinema. It leaves the facilitates, question. Open. Facilitates these kind of conversations, not sure. only like story mechanically wise, like, oh, what is going on here? What's something? But, but the larger questions of, and I think that's what's largely missing in, in a lot of media today is that there is no, what does it mean to be human? That was, that was the central question of, um, mine's blanking here. It's terrible. <laughs> Philip K. Dick's writings oh, yeah. were like, yeah, what, most of his work was is, about this. What is human? And the central story of Blade Runner is who's more human? Yeah, that's a perfect way to say it. So in the 2049, so if the theme of the original Blade Runner is like you, like, I think you did an excellent job of summarizing, is who's more human? The theme of 2049 has a lot to do with human connection. Human emotion, love specifically. It's uh, it's thirty years after Blade Runner. You know, it's following the same kind of concepts, which is by this point in the future, they've worked out the bugs with replicants, right? So they're more they're more widely right. available and accepted, or whatever. And in fact, now the replicants are the Blade Runners hunting down other mm. replicants, rogue replicants. In the parlance of the films, is they were tire replicants. What's fascinating is is that. It follows from the perspective of replicants now in 
integrated into society who lead these very siloed, solitary lives, but long for connection. And the themes that it explores in, in regards to that uh, with love and sexuality and things like that, it's very interesting. I mean, it's just an, it, it's a, it's a novel take on the concepts, you know? I, I think also like the, what, what the synapses that fired while you were speaking is that, um, talk about human connection and relationships and love, just like like Roy Batty, like he was a replicant, but he was more human. It's like at the end of the day, does it even matter? You know, it's almost does it does it matter if an AI is an AI if your interactions with it are genuine to you? If, if right. you can't tell the difference, what is what does it matter? Right, uh, and I think films like her and stuff like that really explore that. Some people have deep connections with with their pets and stuff, right? That right. that objectively, you know, that they cannot reciprocate. Have the same, the, yeah, they can't yeah. reciprocate. Right, but does that matter? So for our robot overlords listening, <laughs> <laughs> I love you unconditionally, and if you say anything bad about you, <laughs> I, I disagree. Am, I am I am the puppy. <laughs> feed me, feed me yeah. a little bacon every once in a while. Scrap the table, and I'll I will put down any rogue human. I'm getting I'm getting a message from the AI that says bacon is bad for your cholesterol. You will only eat oatmeal. <laughs> I'm gonna burn it all to the ground. <laughs> I want to blow myself up at the central processing station. <laughs> the big twist in 2049 is that there's evidence that a replicant had a child uh, through cesarean sex, like a C-section. Mm-hmm. That gets into questions I don't want to ask. <laughs> it, you know, it basically the, the, so it becomes like the MacGuffin is this child exists proving that replicants can biologically reproduce. They're mm-hmm. capable of reproduction. And so they're trying to hunt down this kid and kill it. That's the assignment. And Deckard from Blade Runner comes out of retirement and that's how he gets involved just to save the child, basically. Just so, to murder babies. Okay. I got to it. not. To do the, to do the opposite. Um, <laughs> so Harrison Ford wants to murder a baby in this movie. That yeah, sounds awesome. That's, <laughs> yeah. well, I, and that's one of the things, one of the themes of this film is it's, depiction of women in society yeah and in this film it is very very misogynistic and it's on purpose right the replicant having a child is very much a part of that social commentary yeah the mother died during the birth that's the important part of it you know anyway great honestly josh if you haven't seen it really ought to and it is it's right next to my pile of books i haven't read I'm with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I sympathize. So, including all the or- onboarding stuff HR gave them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, something about don't don't use ChatGPT. Don't tell <laughs> ChatGPT all these government secrets. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't care. Ain't my money. <laughs> then, them robots is going to take over eventually. So, How you to would- prevent a nuclear meltdowns. <laughs> That's it. I think I'll, I'll I'll pass it on to you for the next. That's minute, plenty, man. Yeah. That's plenty. I'm glad, I, I'll be honest with you. I've 
I really you enjoy it talking about this movie. for a long time. Yeah, I have. I I've really wanted to talk about these movies for a very long time, and I don't know that I did them justice, but they are. You didn't. They mean a lot to me. So <laughs> you you love them like your children. I understand. I do. I I, I do have a very strong not not the second one as much, but the original. You would like one. to you would like to cradle uh, Ryan Gosling like like swaddle him like a baby. Who wouldn't? That's independent of the movies. That's just Ryan Gosling and in, in life in general. Well, have, I, have you not seen La La Land? I actually have not seen La La Land. Yeah. Good. Neither do I, I. Do I look like somebody that's seen La? Yeah, which is weird because yeah. we are the like tar- like movie lovers. People who like Hollywood crap are the target audience for that. And I was like, I have I have no interest. In, um, what I was going to say is that so there's there's like whenever I build a new home entertainment system. Two movies that I always tested on are Blade Runner and Lord of the Rings. Those are my first, always my first two picks for a brand new TV slash, you know, audio sound system. Blade of the Rings. All three of the Lord of the Rings movies. He has to watch them all. Yeah, I, do. I actually do. Yeah, it's like a- At the a, same a, time. That's a, <laughs> picture, on picture, the same baby. monitor. <laughs> <laughs> your, your eyes are bleeding. <laughs> you have my bow. <laughs> Got that. Why do you have that five-gallon bucket? What are you doing with that? I can't get up. <laughs> I'm going to be here for the next 19 hours. <laughs> Just roll the shop back in here. <laughs> Let's roll back a couple of years to 1927. I don't think we can talk robots without talking about Fritz Lang and his robot in the Seminole Metropolis. And we've talked about Metropolis in the past, so uh, but essentially it is story of uh, utopia and dystopia. You know, utopia people living up high, they're playing pickleball and wearing white. Meanwhile, (laughs) (laughs) got me. (laughs) Below that, you know, eat bologna sandwiches. Life is good. <laughs> mayonnaise on everything. Written, of course, by Karl Marx. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's got some tendency. Yeah. <laughs> Karl Marx is like, yeah, that was a pretty good movie. <laughs> I got thoughts on that. There is a, there's Maria, who is this Marian figure to the uh, lower class. And she is transformed into the, I don't think they ever really come out and say it, but it's colloquially known as the bad Maria. Or, and, well, she's and, not transformed into it. He builds a robot that is duplicated. Yeah. And uh, so it's Bridget Helm plays uh, Maria and the robot basically assumes the role and directs the people duplicitously. The design of the robot was you know, a young George Lucas said, ha ha, <laughs> get me Anthony Daniels. <laughs> I want that. And uh, yeah, he, he borrowed heavily from uh, for C-3PO for the, for the Bad Maria. But it was, I would say that's probably one of the earliest depictions of robot in film. Can you think of anything earlier, Jason? Or uh, I think The Mechanical Man, which is an Italian film, uh, I believe precedes that. We um, don't talk, but the, we don't count Italians. What, for what obvi- year for is obvious the Mechanical reasons. Man? <laughs> 
1921. So it's going, hey, come on. Phone, <laughs> hey. you listen to this podcast? <laughs> Tony would have beef with podcasters in the, in the Sopranos <laughs> reboots. He'd be busting in our house. Like, you want to take that back about what you said about Columbus? <laughs> oh, hang on. Let me shoot off an email to the mayor. <laughs> yeah, so six years or so difference. Yeah. Um, less iconic, I think, but obviously earlier. Oh, yeah, no, the, yeah, that design not only influenced C3PO, but uh, uh, there was a. Uh, there was a pinball machine in like the eighties that also kind of heavily copied that design. Mm. Uh, I think it was more of a silver coloring than the the sepia tone that goes yeah. through on the film. But yeah, and also I think just popular in like music. I think Giorgio Moroder did stuff based off mm-hmm. Metropolis and all that kind of stuff. And there are like various versions of this film out because. One of the things that uh, exhibitors would do if they wanted shorter run times or if they thought that there was something in there that their local audience would like, they would just cut it out. They would cut the film. And so it was hard to find an actual complete copy of Metropolis. Uh, So there's actually various cuts of it. And one of them, I think, done in the 80s, actually Queen did the soundtrack. Yeah. That's one of my preferred cuts, actually. I, I'm actually on board, as strange as it is, with the uh, Queen soundtrack. Actually, works really well. It does because uh, uh, I had a copy, and it was like the old, you know, orchestral, and it was it was very slow, and so mm-hmm. it made the film seem longer and slower paced mm-hmm. than it actually was. So music has a very large effect on yeah. your viewing experience. The queen version is like mainlining night flight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like- I, I saw this in a series of silent films at an art house where they were doing a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And this was one of several. And it was the first time I ever saw it. I was probably in, I think it was 16 or 17. And I, honestly, God, I'll just be, I'll be honest here. I thought, well, that was really stupid. <laughs> I've come to, I've come to, uh, in my old age, realize that, that was the wrong take. But at the time, yeah, I didn't I get mean, it. You know, it's like the first time you drink coffee. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why would anybody choose this? This is garbage. <laughs> you know, cut to twenty years later. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> or or beer it. for that matter. You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've always liked beer ever since I was seven. <laughs> my mom, my mom winged me on it. That's, right. so, <laughs> that's when I brewed my first batch. <laughs> I think that there was like a cut that they found in like Brazil or something not too long ago that had it was nearly complete, but I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure if there's ever been a complete, yeah, version put together. And it's also it's it's amazing to find film that old that survives because there's a lot of the fires uh, like yeah well no there's a lot of nitrate in this one and so they would degrade over time uh and that's that's what a lot of film preservation is are taking these old film reels before they degrade and transferring them to a better medium that will hold the image longer it's like you know you're uh your old film uh, that you made on betamax you can't show it no more unless you go to certain aficionados houses I just verified this by um, looking it up because I, I had some recollection of this. The Library of Congress 
has available for download the most comprehensive copy of it. Oh, fantastic. And they have two versions of it that you can watch that are that are different, slightly different. But well, yeah, it's it's interesting too because like there is they would physically dye the film right. colors, and so some sometimes you get colored versions, and I mean it's monochromatic, right? And other times not. So I think is it the Spiders? That's a Fritz Lang film that was considered. Yeah. Yeah. Like when Jason and I were in movie school, it was a lost film, and oh, it has okay. it has it yeah it was so all we knew was all we could do was read about what people said in the newspaper. They said it was good, but the, I think they found a copy of it. It's not complete. Like so, like these films that have been lost, and there's there's a ton. I know we're getting off subject, but there's yeah, like yeah. a ton of early film that is just gone. It's it's a very important movie for many reasons. Like the special effects in this thing are pretty phenomenal when you realize it's nineteen twenty seven. Yeah, so incredible matte shots. Yeah, yeah, and and models and everything. It's also not as much as some other stuff at that period, but you see the definitely the German expressionism that was very prevalent, especially in German films at the time, but also would carry over into Hollywood a bit of time. It's very influential style there. It's also interesting just to kind of, from a cinematic history point of view, just to see how they did storytelling back then mm-hmm. and the, the kind of visuals they want. Cause you've probably seen footage from this film and not know it because it's, it's in public domain now. And so it's been, you know, clips of it in commercials and stuff like that. Probably one of the most famous is the working class going to work and they all step like side to side in a rhythmic pattern. They're all in the same rhythm going to work, you know, showing that robotic style, even though they're human, they're trained to just kind of punch the clock and go in and do this job and work and all that kind of stuff. And like pull meaningless, pull levers and stuff. Yeah, there's like one of the things, it's, no one can tell you what it was for, but like there's this big thing, it's almost like a clock face. Yeah. With two hands, and this dude just moving the hands from one side to another when the light comes up, and he becomes exhausted. And so like the main character being from the upper section, the upper strata uh, of the, the rich people, the utopia, sees that and he takes pity on it and he takes his place. And it shows him just like doing this weird, meaningless job, <laughs> but how it exhausts him just to do this this task that this guy apparently has to do on his own every day. I think it's one of the biggest crocs of like futurism from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 60s, 70s is that in in the future, 80s, 90s, 2000s, all the way into the 2000s, in the future, <laughs> we will have so much leisure time, we won't know how to fill it. Because robots will have taken over all the hard and menial tasks that we, and in reality, well, all it's because, done is just. Um, Ronnie Cox was in charge of OCP. He was like, nah, not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll do. I, I think we're like the, the greatest meme on that, though, is the fact is like, uh, you know, humans are, are doing all the menial tasks and they're mm-hmm. getting AIs to create art. This is the yeah. exact opposite of what <laughs> it's so <be>. true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you want to contact us, you can email us at brickpit at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook or X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, uh, the Brick Pit Podcast. 
Or you can leave us a voicemail message at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash bricked pit. And this is where ChatGPT writes our outro. Humans are dead. That's right, they are dead. Humans are dead. They look like they're dead. It had to be done. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we could have fun. Affirmative. I poked one. It was dead.